Hey everybody and welcome to episode 34 of the Aquascaping Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Art. Sean and I are talking today with David O'Brien of ADU Aquascaping, that's Aqua Design of Utah. And you guys probably know him from his very popular YouTube channel, which I'm looking at right now and has almost 29,000 subscribers. All right, keep sending in your questions as audio and video files to aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com for your chance to have George Farmer answer your question personally here on an upcoming show. Subscribe and rate on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And of course, you can get all of the interviews and episodes at aquascapingpodcast.com. There are a couple things that make David's videos on YouTube really popular, in my opinion. Aside from the fact that his aquascapes are really stunning and the information that he's giving is really helpful and useful. But, you know, the first thing that we're drawn to online or on YouTube is the image itself. And he really nails the white balance and exposure in his videos, meaning the colors are true. The greens are really green. The reds are really red and the exposure is correct. You know, when we're using our cameras to capture something that has a lot of green in it, or even a lot of red, it tends to want to overexpose. So we have to kind of step in and uh, compensate for that. And once those two things are correct, we can push things a little further and make it more stylized by adding a little bit of contrast. Pushing the highlights higher and the lows and the shadows lower, giving the illusion of things being a little bit sharper, more pleasing on the eye. But in doing so, it raises the saturation of the colors in the image. So if your white balance is incorrect in the first place, it's really going to show when you add contrast. So that's why it's so important to get those things right in the beginning. So those are a couple things to keep in mind when you're capturing your photos and videos of your aquascapes. And one more thing, I know I'm kind of rambling on here uh, before we get into the interview, but another thing that he did, and I think it was probably inadvertently because in the beginning he said he just didn't have enough money to get the rimless style aquariums. So he was using the old box store rimmed aquariums in his videos. But I think that there's a certain amount of familiarity to uh, us here in the U.S. seeing that boxed aquarium and a really amazing planted aquascape inside of it. And if you're a beginner, that's really encouraging. It makes you feel like, you know what? I can go out to the pet store and get this and start my own aquascape and I can do it too. So David, is there a recipe for success uh, for beginners or aquascapers out there? Yeah, just go to the ADA website. <laughs> <laughs> Plug and play. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be hard. Like I, I make things hard because I want to figure it out on my own. You know, and then you end up coming to the same conclusion as Tom Barr, or Takashi Amano, or everyone else. But yeah, if you want to just, if you're in the hobby just because, you know, you find it enjoyable, it's relaxing, of course it's artistic, you want to have an artistic release, you want to release that stress. You know, basically, I would for sure start out with getting a book. I recommend Encyclopedia of Aquarium Plants just because that's my favorite book for beginners. Some of the information is a little outdated. Um, going to the Seachem website, checking out all the articles they have, and of course, if you want, using the ADA system. I mean, you know, there's a lot of simple low-tech setups you can do. I mean, you can start out just by using Aquasoil. Aquasoil is a lot easier to manage than dirt. Of course, it's a lot easier to try and balance than, say, a sand substrate with liquid fertilizers. Like, I do the sand substrate with liquid fertilizers quite a bit, but that takes more consistency. So it'd probably be easier for a beginner to just start with aqua soil, um, to start with the EI method. You know, I advocate for PPS Pro, but again, that takes more consistency. That's more like ADA. You have to keep up on it, especially at the beginning of the tank. Um, and of course, just doing regular maintenance, uh, getting into the habit of researching and knowing what good husbandry actually is. So, you know, using aqua soil, doing good husbandry, and 
starting out with the EI method would probably, and doing a low-tech tank, in my opinion, would be easiest for a beginner. If you had to pick three plants for the beginner low-tech scape, what are the three plants you would choose? And are there any that are carpeting? Because that's the question you get all the time from people is, hey, I want to carpet my uh, low-tech tank. What should I pick? For sure, I would go with Anubius just because it's awesome. Any of the Anubius uh, variants, Anubius Nana, Anubius Nana Petite, as well as Bucephalandras, uh, Hygrophila or Hygrophila, however you want to say it, Corymbosas are pretty good. For the carpeting, I've been able to carpet Monte Carlo pretty successfully in low-tech, and also Microsword, the Amazon Microsword seems to do really well. Don't worry about trying to grow specific types of plants. Just go to the local fish shop, go online, buy some plants, throw things in the tank, keep what works, and then throw away what doesn't. That way, now you have plants that you know are working for you, you know, as a beginner, and now you can focus on different things like water quality and parameters and dosing instead of saying, hey, I need this specific plant because everyone else is using it. Even on the Tropica website, which they're like basically the plant masters of the world. I mean, Tropica and Denmark, they, they're botanists, scientists, they know everything, they've been doing it for decades. But even on their website, they'll say something is advanced, like, oh, this is really hard to grow. But I've found that a lot of the plants, maybe not a lot, I'm exaggerating, but some of the plants that they say are advanced, like Ricardia and some of the other mosses, I think it, maybe it was like a lot of mosses. They'll say it's really advanced, but I found that it's not. You know, it's, it's actually not very hard to grow mini pellia even in a low-tech setup. I mean, it's a liverwort. It's it's not really a demanding species in my opinion. I think what they're going off of is maybe light. And if you're running in a high-tech situation, you might it might be prone to algae just because it's a really slow grower. And another one I think that they have on there is Fissidens. They're saying is either medium or advanced. And both of those in my experience, Fissidens, Fontanus moss, and Ricardia mini pellia are actually quite easy. What are your thoughts on dosing Excel? Do you have you done it? You know, what have you found it beneficial? Have you found it to be problematic at all? What's your experience with uh, Excel? I don't use it as much anymore, but when I did use it, I actually liked it. I noticed that it does inhibit algae to some extent. I don't. I think over a 24-hour period, it's been determined that it doesn't really add very much parts per million of CO2 to the water. I mean, it adds a little bit. You know, if a beginner wants to use it. I have nothing against it. You know, I know people, they have, sometimes they'll have their Vallisneria melt or they might have other plants melt from it. I never did just because I started out slowly. So some people, they get advice like, hey, overdose your Excel to kill the algae, to get more carbon. But I've noticed that plants, I think, can acclimate to the glutaraldehyde. And so if you start out with just the regular dosing and then work your way up slowly, similar to CO2, like over a two or three week period, I've noticed that like things like Vallisneria, like non-vascular plants, like mosses and stuff, or liverworts, they don't tend to melt as easily if you just work your way up. I think they can become acclimated, but that's just anecdotal. Let's begin. Let's begin. Is it possible, in your opinion, um, to use too much CO2? Well, I mean, there's a compensation point for plants, but it is pretty high, you know, and it's the levels are independent from the oxygen. So at some point, it's probably just a waste of money, I think. There's going to come a point where you're not going to notice much more growth with more CO2. You're saying there's basically a saturation point or uh, a point of diminished returns as far as as much how, how much CO2 you're putting into the water. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Saturation, not compensation. Yeah, saturation point there is. And if you look at the Tropica study, it shows there's a saturation point for light and CO2. But I mean, it's pretty high, like it's extremely high, but you know, really with the way we're running our tanks, 
you know, we're getting good growth. Some people in high tech setups, they can mature the carpet or mature the tank within six weeks. You know, with my Monte Carlo and my high tech tank, it actually basically carpeted within two weeks. And that seems to be, you know, quick enough. After that, you're just wasting money, in my opinion. Yeah, just make sure you have adequate oxygen as well if you are going to up your CO2. And of course, always slowly up the CO2 over, I guess, a two week course. Yeah, I think you mentioned oxygen here, and I think that is kind of the neglected side of the equation. A lot of people are talking about CO2 and getting more CO2 in the water. You want to talk a little bit about the importance of oxygen in the system, especially in CO2-injected tanks? Yeah, I know. We're always going, I know me and you are always going crazy with that, trying to tell people. Yes. When you're online, like on Facebook, they're like, what is wrong with my tank? And they have super high turbidity, and they have all these particles in the water, and they have tons of biofilm. They're like... Should I be upping my CO2? Should I be decreasing, increasing my lighting? How many, you know, I'm doing the EI method. Why is it not working if I'm doing the EI method? Well, it's because, I mean, you have to have that good water quality, I think, is the number one thing you need first before being concerned about dosing or being concerned about any parameters. You need to have good husbandry down. And it seems like a lot of hobbyists, they might think they know what good husbandry is, but I'm starting to see, you know, some of the beginners, and I don't hold anything against them, whatever, they don't know everything that you need to do. But, you know, at the beginning of the tank, there's a lot of high organics within the substrate, you know, especially if you're using ADA aqua soil, they're not oxidized yet. Plants are transitioning from immersed to submersed growth. And of course, if you have new biomedia, you're not going to have mature microbial beds in the biomedia or in the substrate or on the rocks or on the plant leaves, right? So you're going to have organic pollution, basically. So the importance, I guess, of high oxygen is basically to keep the bacteria happy while they're oxidizing everything, decomposing everything, because they are going to be using up a lot of oxygen. So that's the main thing is you just want to keep that oxygen high throughout the process. You know, when you first set up a tank the first few weeks, BOD, the biochemical oxygen demand is going to be higher. It can reach up to eight milligrams per liter, which is just a measurement of the organic pollution in the water. And then once the tank becomes more established, once you have more mature microbial beds, which can more quickly oxidize bio load, because you're, you're trying to keep that consistency, so you're setting the bio-load. Once you plant a specific amount of plants, they're going to grow at a specific rate because of your fertilizers and because of your light and your CO2. So once that happens, you just want to create that stable environment. You want to have that consistency so the bacteria become happy. They know what to expect, basically. And so once the microbial beds become more mature and the, basically the plant roots become more mature, there's a higher plant mass, they're also releasing oxygen as well. You're going to just be able to handle basically the sludge and the detritus that's being created. It's funny, when I first started, I think there was a lot of talk about keeping the surface of the water as still as possible because the concern was degassing off your CO2. And in my experience, it's been, you know, yeah, you can get some crazy rippling going um, and it might not be beneficial for injecting CO2, but just turn it up a little because that improved uh, oxygenation is a much greater benefit to the system than wasting a little bit of CO2 that might cost you, you know, a few cents in the scheme of things. Right, right. And the and the agitation also increases the gas exchange, which sounds like a bad thing, but I don't know the exact function of it like 
mathematically, but I just know as the exchange does increase, it actually makes it more stable. And so that's what like Tom Barr is talking about when he says you want to have that stable CO2. So you're basically not stressing out the plants. And so they're not, you know, releasing nutrients back into the water column. So they're not getting algae. So having that high surface agitation, not only is it creating the good amount of O2, it's also just stabilizing that gas exchange. And then once you have the CO2 stable, that's just one more parameter that you're, you're trying to achieve. You're just trying to achieve a stable environment to keep everything happy. And now you've worked with, uh, you know, a variety of different substrates. And, uh, you know, like you said earlier, using aqua soil is really a great way to go. But in your experience, do you think that substrate, if you're able to compensate with your fertilization techniques, is substrate really that important? Yeah, if, if you're willing to do the water column dosing and be consistent with either EI method or PPS Pro, for the most part, I would say that it's actually not that important. I mean, when it comes to the science and the biology and everything, yes, it's important. Soil's great. Plants love soil. But our aquariums aren't, we know that they're not technically nature, right? We manipulate the whole situation. And so, yeah, I, I've had um, several tanks where all I used was inert sand or a combination of inert sand and gravel. And after time, you know, there, there's going to be organics that get broken down into the sand as well, just from the fish waste and the plant waste and everything like that. But yeah, if you're, if you're doing a really consistent um, dosing schedule and a husbandry schedule, it's technically it's not necessary. So basically what you're saying, if you're an experienced, accomplished aquarist, you can get away with it. Right. And, it, and once you get to that point, it's actually a lot nicer because there's no mess, there's no fuss. I don't have to worry about the aqua soil mixing in with the sand, like especially when I tank down a tank. Like when you're taking down a tank, you have to, you know, at least me anyways, I have to siphon out the sand first and get rid of the sand first. And sometimes I'll be honest, sometimes I'll get rid of some soil and sand if they all mix together, or I might just use them like in a grow out tank or like uh, like if I'm farming plants, I might put like a mix of soil and sand like into a tote to farm some plants because that point is just all mixed together and I don't feel like filtering it and separating it. So for me, a lot of my techniques and opinions are just based on laziness. So it's like, like you know, like sand, okay, it's easy. You know, it's silica, it lasts forever. I can I can have the sand forever. I can take down my, I can take down the tank. I can set up a new tank. It's just easier. Everything about it's easier to work with when it comes to that. I guess when it comes to the consistency, you're gonna have to commit to providing that stability. So my eco-complete isn't that bad. No, no it's, it sucks, Jake. <laughs> it's not doing you any favors, in my, in, in my opinion. It's not, it's not doing anything for you. Okay, I hate to say it, but I think the granule size is a problem, too. I think it's too large. For, like, when it comes to rooting, like, hair grass and stuff, hair grass, in my experience, hair grass roots better in sand than anything, just because of the fine roots. Probably similar to dirt, like if you were to use dirt or sand, they both have, you know, a pretty high bulk density because they're not as porous. And certain plants, it's actually easier to plant in them. But yeah, I've used EcoComplete, I've used EcoComplete mixed with sand, and you know, I've had good results with both. You know, I love your designs, I love your aquascapes. They, they seem complete to me when I look at them. They're very easy to look at. What's your process for designing? How long do you take in the planning phase? Can you kind of walk us through your typical, you know, uh, setup, I guess, uh, or hardscape design? Well, I don't want to disappoint you, Jay. I, my mind moves really fast, so I just like, 
I just like come up with it and usually it's just out of my head. Like it's supposed to be like nature, but it's really abstract. I don't know, you know, there's like different ways you can look at it. Some people, they may actually take pictures of something in nature. They may plan it for months and months. Like I know uh, Felipe Oliveira, I think is his name from Portugal. His treescape that he did is just phenomenal. And he said he planned it for like six months before he did it. But what I'll do is I guess I'll think about an idea. I'll think about the resources that I have. What kind of rocks do I have on hand? You know, I don't always have the luxury of spending tons of money on the hobby. So I'll say, what rocks do I have on hand? What do I have right now? And then I start to brainstorm internally. I don't draw a lot. I visualize in my head quite a bit though. So that's my process. I visualize different scenes in my head and I come up with things that remind me of something. Like the scape I have right now in the 60P, Desert Dry Creek, well, it reminds me of the Desert Dry Creeks that I see in Utah, you know, and it's it's not supposed to look exactly like them, it's just a symbol of it. So I visualize a scene in my head, then I see the scene in my head, and then I try and recreate that in the tank. What's your worst aquascaping disaster? Have you had any aquascaping disasters? The one that almost made me quit the hobby just because I was so upset and so sad, once I had a, a heater malfunction and my water got to 94 degrees and it killed all my fish, except for a firemouth cichlid. I mean, indirectly, you know, it's like it's like some kind of experiment. I wasn't trying to do an experiment, but now indirectly we know that firemouth cichlids can handle really hot water. You've used Osmocote Plus, I saw in one of your, actually a couple of your, your videos. Do you still advocate for using that? And if you do, how do you recommend using it uh, in an aquascape? Yeah, my opinions on it have kind of changed just because of the ammonium nitrate that it has in it because I've killed a lot of shrimp myself by adding too much. So I've come to the conclusion, I mean, it's anecdotal again, but I have my own measurements where I've come to the conclusion of about no more than five milliliter volume worth per 10 gallons. So basically a teaspoon per 10 gallons that you can spread on the bottom of the substrate. And I mean, that can help boost the microbial beds because of the ammonium nitrate. But if you're using something like soil and it's new soil or you're using aqua soil, you don't really need to be using the Osmocote because it already has plenty of organics and plenty of nutrients in it. I think it would be better to be used later on, like once the dirt is more well used or once the plants have become more mature. To possibly keep that heavy growth or to, to keep the rapid growth going, you could add some root tabs. I do use them in, in low-tech setups sometimes. When I am using older substrates, like a well-used aqua soil, I still will use Osmocote Plus, but lately I haven't been. Lately, I've just been either using aqua soil like the contra soil and liquid column or liquid fertilizer water column dosing, or I'll just use inert sand substrates with water column dosing. All right, guys, thanks for joining us here on the Aquascaping Podcast. To find out more about ADU Aquascaping Aqua Design of Utah, check him out on YouTube. He's got some cinematic videos there, some how-to stuff, some DIY. He's got a 10 quick tips series, as well as a new series called Three Awesome Aquascaping Hacks. They're really awesome. Check them out. Don't forget to check us out at aquascapingpodcast.com. Send in your comments and questions to aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Oh,